If, uh, if you've been coming for the last few weeks, you know, uh, the last week, actually, two weeks, kind of, because of the 10th anniversary celebration, we've been talking about Family Bible Church and all that's been happening at Family Bible Church, okay? And um, this series we're doing right now, we're trying to explain the three major missions or purposes that we feel that Family Bible Church is called to live into in Highland and beyond. And... Um, and so last week we talked about uh, making disciples, right? That we're learners and that's what we're called to do is learn from Jesus. It's just that simple. He says, follow me and we're allowed to follow him. Like each of us, there's no one that's exempt or excluded from that process. Excuse me. This week we're going to talk about the second one, which is, and I have it. I don't know if you got an engagement sheet this morning, but it says reach families. And I didn't grab one yet. So it says, we want to invite others to trust Jesus and become part of his family in this life. And uh, I want to confess something to you because that's what's actually on the banner at the office to reach families. But I also wanted to to confess to you that when we went out for our leadership retreat uh, 11 months ago or so, that's not exactly what we wrote down. And I want to say that because I think it does matter. There were some reasons that I put that up. I think it honors the intent, but I want to read to you actually my notes uh, from the meeting that we had, the leadership team. If you don't remember last week, what I talked about was leadership team did an offsite around Highland where we walked around and we prayed at different locations about what God was doing in our community and what he's calling us to do, how we lead, who we are, and all those things. And last week I shared with you some of the convictions we got out of that, but in this series I want to share these things with you. So these are my chicken scratch notes that I just kind of took as we were all sharing ideas. This wasn't things that I thought up. We really were seeing where God was leading us, right? And the first was to be learners of the teachers of Jesus and teachers of learners of Jesus. We talked about that last week, making disciples. But then the second conviction was this, that we're here to support families by supporting individuals, marriages, and teaching children, right? And we, we really felt like that was something that God has called and equipped us to do. Now you might go, well, Duh, right? I mean, matter of fact, I was talking to some other pastors, and every church says, man, we're about families. We love families, right? And here we are, Family Bible Church, and we're called Family Bible Church, right? So this might be obvious, like, well, of course you support families, you know? But we started to say, well, what does that really look like? Or what does that mean? And so today, and I'm telling you is the truth, I don't know where this is going to go when we get into the Word today, but I want you to understand that there's some complexity in what we're talking about with supporting families or reaching families, because we absolutely do want families to be blessed and nurtured and grow together, but we also want people to understand that no matter where you are or who you are, you're invited to be part of God's family, and, that, and, and actually, if you follow Jesus' life, that kind of supersedes your earthly family. It doesn't discount or disconnect it, but God speaks over us. As children. So um, I'm going to ask you to pray with me this morning, if you would, and we enter into God's word that he would reveal truth to us and that we could uh, just know him better today. Uh, pray with me, if you will. Father God, we thank you so much for the time we have now together in your word. I do pray that it's profitable and, and it's glorifying to you, but it's edifying and encouraging to us that we would maybe see something we haven't seen or, or learn something we don't yet know and that we could really live into that truth. Um, Father God, for all the ways that we fail you, we confess that, like we sang to you, we are sinners, and uh, you make broken things beautiful. And, and Father, we don't confess that in a false way, like, oh, we're so bad, we're sinners. We know we're far from you. We know we get this wrong. We know we don't do right. And yet we know that we need you to make this right. You need to make us right. Father, in this time, in this place, would you help us to do that, to, to be submitted to your will, to be willing to learn from you about what it means um, to be part of your family. We thank you for the opportunity we have together uh, to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're going to kind of roll through here and, uh, like I said, see what God has for us today. I wanted to kind of open with a passage of Scripture. Today we have a lot of texts, and so I'm going to put it on the screens for you. You can turn there if you want, and you can check it out. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And this is what the Word says. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, right? And this is Jesus talking to his disciples about following him, and he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Trust him, trust me, and I would tell you the truth if that wasn't the case. And this becomes kind of the overarching uh, theme, I guess, for what we're going to talk about today, which is uh, what it means to be a family, Right? What it means. I mean, when these disciples were following Jesus on earth, they didn't understand the implications of what he was saying. They were used to religion and, and, and rabbis and all the things of this world. And Jesus taught us someone who had authority, and he said some radical things. And I would argue that this is a radical thing that he said. Trust in God, trust in me. I'm making a place for you to come to in my Father's house. There's so much in there. And so today we're going to talk about, about what it means to be a family and how, how we should rightly see these things according to Scripture, okay? Now this, I want to say this to you real quick. This kind of went sideways on me a little bit because I thought, oh, there's so much the Bible says about families. And then I started looking at what the Bible says about families, and I started to realize when we say family, the Bible says other things. It's a really hard thing to actually get what the Bible means when it says family, and you might think, well, that's crazy because every church talks about families and we know what families are. But when you start to dig into the original text and see what the Bible, what we say family is, and what the Bible says is family, all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's kind of different. Kind of the same, kind of different, okay? And so we're going to kind of walk through here. And the first, and if you have an engagement sheet, there's some blanks for you to fill in today. But the first is this, that families are a birthplace. Families are a birthplace. And I'm going to turn to... Genesis, ooh, I almost pulled my, oh, my marker out. Genesis 5. By the way, this idea was mentioned over and over and over again in Scripture in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, what I'm about to read, this was the first example, but it was just full of, in this, the Old Testament. Here it is. This is the written account of Adam's line, is what the Scripture says, okay? When God created man, he made him in his likeness. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. Then Adam had lived for 130 years, and he had a son. And it starts to go through this birth order idea, okay? That, that there's a, and it's called genealogy. And many of us understand that, right? Like about what genealogy means that we're part of a family. And so that's the first reality is that in the Bible, and this is all throughout the Old Testament, or the First Testament, the Bible is about birthplace. It's about where you're born, who you're born into, I want to remind you that in Scripture, your family mattered, meaning your genealogy or your birthplace mattered, who you were, who you belonged to. As a matter of fact, in Israel, to be the son of someone was a powerful thing, right? To be able to claim your father's name was hugely powerful. And in fact, it defined your status in the culture. That's how it really was. I know some of us feel that way still today, right? But I mean, that's really how it was. Everyone bought into that. Yeah, you, you're born into that family and you stay in that family and that determines who you are and what your life is about. But it's even bigger than that in a way. And I want to share with you 
from the psalm. I think this is so beautiful. And I've shared this with you before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to see that it wasn't just this idea of genealogy, right? But that God is intimately involved even now today in where he placed you. I think our culture spends a lot of time saying, you know, God got it wrong. (laughs) If I had my choice, I would have changed things, okay? But listen to what the word says. In Psalm 139, verse 13, by the way, the whole psalm is beautiful. We've talked about the whole psalm as a church. This is what the word says. Uh, "For For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know it full well. How many have heard that before? Yeah, you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This is one of those texts that I'd heard so many times before. And then all of a sudden one day, God just opened my eyes to the reality of all the implications that the scripture says are true about our lives that we might not want to believe ourselves. I already said we, we spend time in our culture thinking if I had a different family, if, 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 uh, if I wasn't born here or whatever. We go to Honduras, and that's one of our things we say, you know, what's the difference between them and us? They were born in Honduras, and we were born in the United States, right? But what Scripture says, and Psalm 139 says, is that God in his sovereign wisdom chose our mother. I don't know if you think that's radical or not. I think that's a radical concept. That no matter what you think about your existence, I've sat with so many people who've said, I'm a mistake, my parents didn't want me, I'm not supposed to have this life, or whatever, but the Bible doesn't agree with any of that. The Bible says, no, God chose your mother for you, that God was intimately involved in your creation process, that you weren't an accident, you weren't a creation of man, but that God knit you together in your mother's womb. That means a few things, and I just want to walk through real quick what it means. It means that that the family you came from is not a mistake. And I'm telling you, in Christian life, we can just think that. My family's so messed up. Woo, I got out of there, (laughs) you know? Listen, God chose to have you born into that family. The radical question is why? I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. So did he get it all wrong? Or did he have a purpose for being in this family, right? And we've talked about this before as a church. But here's even more. When God chose where he was going to knit you together, he chose your circumstances. So we've got to be careful saying those poor Hondurans, those poor Africans, those poor Middle Easterners, because God is sovereign over his choice when he does these things. It's not an accident. He's choosing. And that's why when we talked about, like, the mission thing, we come back here and we're radically challenged because we go, okay, God, so you put me here, so what does that mean? What does it mean for my community? What does it mean for my family? None of those things, my citizenship, none of those things are accidental. We spend our lives running and acting as if it's all been a terrible mistake because we think we know better. But here, the psalmist challenges us with his wisdom and says, no, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I think if you embrace that reality of following Jesus, and if you, if you resist the urge to flee from the things you don't understand, you, God will just change your life. And I don't have the answers, man, because, you know, it's a broken journey for me, too. You know, start, stop, two steps forward, one step back, you know, mess up, try to make it right, you know what I mean? Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. I mean, it happens over and over again. But the truth is that our birthright is not a mistake. 
we're talking about like um, next week's going to be Mother's Day and we're excited to have Mother's Day and and celebrate Mother's Day with um, all that God's doing with that. But uh, what does it mean that God chose to put you in your household with your mom or your dad or not with your mom or your dad? What does it mean? Um, What does it, let's get really radical. I mean, what does it mean that, what if if God knit you together in your mother's womb and and then your your, your mother gave birth to you and then you were adopted by another family? Or what does it mean that those children that were in that orphanage in the state ran in Honduras were in that orphanage and then put on the street? See, it's a radical thought that it's not an accident, but that God has purpose in all of it. I bet if I asked the question, what was one thing you would do to radically redefine someone's life, many of you would think, change where they're born. Wouldn't you? Just change where they're born. You ever seen a family struggle? You've seen a kid that's neglected? You know? You've seen, I mean, just the, the, the world's full of violence and danger. Most of us say, if we could only change where they're born, it would change everything. Our birthplace is part of what family means, though. And it's not a mistake. God is doing something through all of that. All right. Then I want to share something else with you as well, that our, our family is where we belong. Now, I love this one. I love all of these, but I love this one. This is a story from Jesus' own life. And it's going to come in the Gospel of Mark. Again, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to put it up. I hope it's on the screens this time. Let's see <laughs> if it's on the screens. Yeah, so Mark 3. I love the Gospel of Mark. You know this already. But Mark 3, verses, verse 21. I'm going to read a few more here. But um, It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again the crowd gathered so that he and his disciples could not even eat. So this is the people who are coming to Jesus in droves. They're just packed the house. Jesus is healing people. They're just stuffing in. He can't even eat. I mean, I'm not sure that means they're out of food or he don't have room to eat or what, but it's just crazy. But I want you to see what happens in verse 21. When his family heard about this, what all this happened in Jesus' life, they went to take charge of him because they said he's out of his mind. Did you know that's in the Bible? His family came to get him because he, they thought he'd lost his mind. This is crazy. This, what, what is going on with Jesus? What is going on with these people coming? To, and the other gospels tell us a story of his mother and brothers coming. You might know that story, right? Uh, his mothers and brothers came and said, we're taking you home because you've lost it. This is not very obvious, is it, that what his family means here? But you know what the scripture says it means? Those that belong to Jesus came. Isn't that striking? I found that really striking. Because you can kind of take Jesus and his ministry and take it away from his family, but no. It doesn't say that. In the Greek it says that the ones who belong to Jesus and the ones that Jesus belonged to came to collect him. Because he was theirs. And they were his even in the other story in the gospel where it says, when, when it says his mothers and brothers came, he says, who are my mothers and my brothers? Those that do the will of my father are my mothers, brothers, and sisters, right? That's what the scriptures say. But he never rebukes those who belong to him. He never does. He doesn't cast them off. He doesn't ignore his family. Because you see, families are a place where you belong. It's the truth. And that's hard for many of us because you go, I don't feel like I belong here. Right? Have you had that experience? You don't think you belong in your family. But here, 
in this moment, in this radical moment of Jesus' life, his family comes and they say, we're taking him home. It's gone far enough. Right? They didn't do that, thank God, but that was their intent, was to take Jesus home. I don't know if you feel like, if you feel like you belong in your family. I don't know if you feel like you fit right in or you don't, right? But that's definitely something that defines what a family is. Now, here's where the Hebrew scripture is supposed to be, and I'll see if it's in here again, but I bet it's not. Let's see if I did this. Oh, look, it's in here twice. <laughs> that's awesome. So this actually has something to say about who we are in Christ as well, right? So it says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And the word there in the Greek is exactly the same as his mother and brothers coming to get him. This is my family. And so this is a radical idea that the one who makes men holy and those who are being made holy, that's us, are one, that we belong together. In the church, this is the hardest thing to get everyone to understand, that we belong to one another. And so we are the same with Jesus and his family, okay? Does that make sense? So many times we feel like, well, I don't fit here. I don't belong here. This isn't for me. But the family you came from and the family of God is a place where we belong to God. I wonder, is it hard for you to find people that you call your own? Have you ever known someone like that? These are my people, <laughs> you know? Like, you get it. And maybe you're not even comfortable with it, but you know they're your people. Do you have that experience at all? You go to the reunion, and you're like, this is crazy, but these are my people. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? At some point, God starts to break down your hard-heartedness and, and, you know, and, and says, these are your people. But that also happens in the church, we go, oh, if it weren't for all the crazy Christians, it would be awesome. If it weren't for all the sinful Christians, it would be awesome. But the problem is that we're there. <laughs> the problem is that I'm there. Do you know what I mean? So you go, no, these are my people. And that's what we saw in Jesus' own ministry. People found a place to belong. They found a, something to be part of. They were like, we're with Jesus. Jesus is with us. And the Gospels say that that continues that he is continually with us. All right. This next idea is, pretty, is all throughout the New Testament, and it's this, that our family is a household. I will talk just for a minute about this. But our family is a household, this idea that we are, we are in, the, you know, kind of the same unit. We're protected in the same way. We're, we're in the same dwelling or the, or the same uh, home. And I'll show you something that Jesus said that was pretty radical from the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to turn there for a second. And you can look up here. You can turn if you want. And I'm going to read a few more verses than what's up here, but I want you to see that particular verse, starting in 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus replied this way, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. You go proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, well, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, this is a pretty radical passage of scripture. And Jesus said this, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What's the guy asking for? Lord, I will follow you, but let me go back and say goodbye to my family first so I can follow you. And, and Jesus is like, no, you're going to follow me. You're going to follow me. I don't know what all that means. I don't have time this morning to get into all that means. Or I haven't studied all that means. 
But the truth is that this idea of households is all throughout the New Testament. So just like in the Old Testament, it was like generations and generations and birthrights and all that stuff. In the New Testament, it was your household, the people that you dwell with, that you're spending your time with. That's how, matter of fact, there's so many times in Scripture that the households would come to faith. The households would make a decision to follow Jesus. The households will receive the Holy Spirit of God. We have lost that concept, though, in our culture. It's a very individual thing, isn't it, to follow God, to receive the Holy Spirit, to believe the gospel. The Bible says, households come to know me. There's something very powerful in the reality that families are our households, right? All of a sudden, you start to read in Scripture where it says, as for me and my household will follow the Lord. You can claim that for your family. Why did I say earlier about the brokenness in Honduras? What was I talking about? I'm not being mean. But whenever you don't have that view of your home, of your household, no one's protected. And everyone pays the price. It's the same here, by the way, the same culture of brokenness. That's not unique to Honduras. Do we understand what it means to be in the household of faith, though? Do we understand that? I want to share with you from Galatians chapter 6. This is what the word says. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all the people, right? There's our call, church, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. So all of a sudden, it's not just that, you know, me and my house are going to follow the Lord, but God says, I'm building a dwelling or a household of faith. And our call is to be good to that household, to serve it well, serve him well in it. Two more thoughts. The first one. Families are a place that we can grow up. Okay. Families are places that we can grow up. And I'm going to look at the Gospel of John to find this. And I'm telling you, everything I've done, this is all just the way the Lord led me through the scriptures. So I'm not trying to beat you to death with scriptures and say, oh, I'm not trying to overwhelm you. I would give my notes if you want to see the notes and go look these things up and read them. I'm not trying to do proof text because I'm not a, I'd rather set in a text. But God led me to all these places to say, what does it mean to be in a family? And when we say family vouchers, we're strengthening families or reaching families. What does it even mean anyway? Okay. This is what it says in John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said this, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, listen, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's children and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we'll be free? They don't even see their bondage. And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family. That's what the NIV says. But a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. Family. That's the way it's translated here. But that's actually not how it reads. What it says is, the slave does not come of age in the family, or the, the slave does not come of age there, does not grow up there. The slave's there for a while and then out, not part of the promise. This has two huge implications for us. And the first is this, that Jesus is the promise. He is the son that lives forever in the household. 
Th- th- that's what's being told to Abraham's descendants, that, that, that the Messiah, Jesus, is the one who will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and will guarantee our inheritance. But that's part of it. That's part of what it says. But the other thing it says is that a family is a place where we grow up, where we have time, where we can mature, where we can become who God intended us to be. Do you understand that? And, and many times in our actual families, our biological families, we're very impatient with that process. We're like, would you grow up already? This is ridiculous. I'm so tired of your maturity. And then you say, listen, honey, to your wife, I'm trying. <laughs> right? But man, the household of faith, the family of God is a place where Jesus has set himself forever and we can grow up in that place. We don't have to be perfect right now. We're not trying to be flawed or wrong, but we can learn and grow. And this is the biblical idea of coming of age. Over and over again, the same principle is taught that we can grow into always into him who is the head, that is Christ, that we can come up. I don't know if you see your faith in Christ that way as something that you can grow into, but that's a huge, huge part of what God is doing. As a matter of fact, let me just say this. Jesus is the faithful son who is in the household forever until the judgment, right? That's the truth, until the judgment comes. And all of his enduring patience has been our salvation. Make no mistake about it. There's a day of judgment coming, and the, the books will be closed. But everyone who's come to faith, their testimony is because of the patience of God to let us grow up in the faith. I know many, many of you think, man, why won't the Lord come? Like, what, what's the deal? This is the time. Do it right now, right? Every day, more sinners repent and believe the gospel every day. And that's his grace to us. It's a place where we can grow and grow up and change. And then the last scripture today. I want to show you Ephesians chapter 3. This is what Paul writes to churches. Here's the reason that I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And he goes on to pray for the church. This is the reason that, that I pray for all of you. But what strikes me about this passage is that it's in his name, our Father's name, that we all are given an inheritance or a promise, right? Um, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth uh, receives its name. This reality that it's our Father's place. The idea that's all throughout the discipleship past, you know, like the epistles and stuff, is it's brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Why do we say that? Because it's our Father's house. That's the truth. Which brings us all the way back to where we started, which is that Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. So, With all that being said, here's what I want to say about Family Bible Church. When we met on our offsite, and we talked about strengthening families, reaching families, and I was just trying to give you some definitions of family, some categories of what it means. We actually realized that we don't do a really good job of that. Like, that's the truth, man. I don't know. 
but we realize that we do not do a good job of strengthening families. We got kind of convicted about it, actually really convicted about it, right? Some of the ways that I think we fail as a church is that we say family, and you think in your head, you think that means a nuclear family, right? Mom, dad, two kids, half a dog and a fence, or whatever, you know? And some of you have felt left out. I'm from a broken home. Or I'm divorced. Or I don't know if I'm even going to be married. I'm single. Or I'm widowed. Or I'm a widower. And then every time that we say a family Bible church, we're family Bible church and we love families and come to family groups and do family this and family that, you go, I don't belong here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hope you understand. I'm not joking. Like, this was real. Like, we felt like the question was, awesome, strengthen families. Are we doing a good job? And the answer was no. No. Do we honor marriage? I, we try to honor marriage, but are we, are we equipping, you know, married couples I'm not sure that we're doing a good job of it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord's like, okay, so this is the work we have to do. So I just want to start today by saying that. Man, if we've failed you in some way, if you felt not included, here's the truth, what we're claiming. It's not about a nuclear family. It's not about great marriages. It's not about those things. It's about that God is making a family of faith, that he's building an eternal dwelling with us forever, that he's claiming us in spite of our sin and brokenness, in spite of our lostness or our individuality or our brokenness or all that. He's claiming us as his own. And then... Now, here it is. And then, if we live out of that space, that God does teach us to have healthy homes that honor God and honor one another, that God does teach us to parent in a way that's a blessing or to be children in a way that's a blessing to our parents, that God does strengthen our marriages and bring glory to his name. But I hope that no matter what, you don't feel left out of what God is doing. When I read the Bible... I don't find anything that says God doesn't want you, that you're not included. I've never found it. I don't know um, what you believe about salvation or about Christ. The Bible says that we're all adopted. All of us. And the Jews said, well, we're Abraham's kids. And Jesus is like, you still got to be adopted because you're sinners and you're broken. That's the truth. And that God is redefining a generation. Today, maybe you don't feel like you belong to the family of God. I hope we didn't cause that. And I hope you hear the truth that you are included, that God loves you so much. The gospel says that he sent his son to die, that you might be free, that you might be free of sin and free of this broken world and living in him. Or maybe you think you came from the wrong family or God made a mistake when he made you. Or maybe you think God made a mistake when he called you to believe the gospel for yourself and actually follow him in your life. I want to tell you that none of those things are true. The gospel is for sinners. The gospel is for us. And the gospel is an invitation to move forward with Jesus. So wherever you are today and whatever God has going on in your heart, I hope that you understand that you are part of what God is calling us to do as a church family. 
Today, if you don't believe the gospel for yourself, you can believe it. And that's not family Bible church stuff. That's Jesus stuff. That's what he said. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And I don't know what it is right now in your heart that God has maybe burdened you or not burdened you with. But I pray that today you would uh, allow him to work in that space. And then I even pray a more bold prayer. I pray a more bold prayer than not just that you would recognize your sin and your need for a Savior. That is absolutely required. But I pray that if you do that or if you've done that in your life and you recognize your need for a, a Savior for your sin, that you would allow him then to break through in your life and you would begin to pursue him with all that you have. That you would worship him with everything that he's given you. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, today we thank you for the opportunity we've had to learn from you and to hear your word. And there's so much more. There's so much more to learn and know and to believe. And yet today, Father God, I pray that we would have heard something or known something that will change us. I pray, Father God, that for all the ways that we fail, even with our best intentions when we fail you, that you would forgive our sins. And I don't say that in a way that I'm begging because I know you do. I know you died to forgive all of our brokenness. And I pray, Father God, that today, for hearts that are hard against you, they'd be soft. And maybe they're not even here today. Maybe there's someone who's not here today but has a hard heart against you. And I pray that you would work through your Holy Spirit wherever they are right now, that you would soften their hearts. It's someone maybe in this room who knows someone who has a hard heart. Would you touch them today, Father God, and bring glory to your name? Would you soften them toward your gospel? And then, Father, for those of us who claimed you as Lord and Savior and Master of our lives, I pray that we would just go with you, that we would let you break through those areas of our lives. We need to really see transformation and change. Would you help us to live into that space? Would you help us to believe the radical gospel that we are saved to be free and that we would truly be free to love and serve like, like none other in your name? I know all that you're doing today, Father God, but I sense it and I pray that it's glorifying to you. I pray that our hearts would be um, just transformed today by the good news of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and praise for this time together in, in his name. Amen.